Hi, this is Brett. Thank you for listening to my sermon podcast. If you find these messages to be valuable, please be sure to share them with your friends on social media. And remember, you can subscribe to my sermons on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. That way they're delivered to you hot and fresh as soon as they're available. And if you've been blessed by these messages, would you take a moment or two and leave a review on iTunes? That is a huge help when it comes to getting other people to listen. Thanks again, and I hope today's message is a blessing to you. We've just come through Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus. So much of what we know of the Christmas story comes from Luke's Gospel as we open Luke's Gospel this year. Uh, we know from the Gospel of Luke that God chose Mary, not a, uh, not a rich or wealthy or powerful person, but a very ordinary young girl. We know from Luke that God chose Bethlehem, not a capital city, not a, a center of culture or a center of industry, but a very ordinary little town. And God chose shepherds to first see His Son and to first declare, to first announce His Son. Not heads of state, not politicians, and certainly not religious leaders, but some very ordinary shepherds. And again and again through His Gospel, Luke points to the ordinary people. Again and again, Luke points to the easily overlooked and the forgotten. People that society wouldn't think twice about. People from small places just like us. And so as we open Luke's Gospel this year, you never hear God say, you're not good enough. You're not important enough. You're not big enough. You're not welcome. God never says, I don't need you. Rather, we see Jesus encountering people that, well, that we recognize. And we might even see ourselves in the people that He encounters. We're going to begin in chapter 3 though. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. It's page 858 in those Bibles in front of you. And if you do have the YouVersion app on your phone or on your tablet, if you brought something with, a, with that app on it, if you click on events, you'll find my notes and my scriptures today. We're beginning here because Christmas has us fairly caught up with the first two chapters of Luke. And we know Jesus is the baby born in Bethlehem. We even remember him as the child in the temple when he was about. 12 or 13 years old. We need to see where Luke takes him next and who he encounters in this Gospel. In the very next place that Luke takes him in chapter 3, he takes him to the Jordan River to John to be baptized. Now there are a lot of things that the Bible says about baptism. And there's a lot of things that we can say about baptism. But today I want to look at what Luke is saying, why does Luke need to tell this story? As Luke tells it, John's baptism was to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare people for Jesus. In verse 4, we read, as it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so, as Luke takes us through this story, we might ask ourselves not just about the moment of baptism or the decision to be baptized, but where does baptism take us? What's next after baptism? And what Luke is showing us is that baptism prepares you for where Jesus is taking you next. Tomorrow, January 6th, marks the 36th anniversary of my own baptism. 
36 years ago tomorrow. What I like to refer to as my rebirth day. You can send your cards and your gifts. Trish did send me a card one year for my rebirth day. And, and I remember that night. I remember January 6, 1984. It didn't used to sound like a long time ago. It seems like a long time ago now. I remember that night. I remember the water was cold. We didn't have a heater. I remember the prayer that was prayed. I remember the Scripture that was read. And I remember the promise that I made. And I remember the next day. I remember the 7th of January. And I remember something felt different. Something was different. Not that everything was perfect. Not that, not that I was perfect. But that I was different. And, and you know, in, in difficult times ever since then, over the last 36 years, times when I've been down on myself, times when I've felt like a failure, I remember that night and I remember I was baptized. And I think that's one of the gifts that baptism gives us. I believe it's something we need as we as our walk with Jesus continues. You need a moment. You need a, a moment in your life that cements your faith in your history. I want to begin in verses 1 and 2 here in Luke chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, Luke writes, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the regions of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Did you, did you get all that? There's, you have to remember all those names and all those dates. Have, there will be a test later. Why? Why, why, why do we have two verses with these kind of details here? Well, what Luke is doing is he is taking the story of Jesus' baptism and the story of John's ministry and he is cementing it in history. Luke is giving us the exact moment as best as he can when this all took place. And so he, he, he measures time by the leadership he tells us about the world leadership. He says it was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. It was back when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And then he talks about the ethnic leadership, the Jewish leadership. It's when Herod uh, was, was in charge. It's when Herod Philip was in charge over here. And then he gives us even the religious leadership. There in the temple, there were two high priests. There was Annas and Caiaphas. They were both serving during that time. He cements it in history. Just like I could say, January 6th, 1984. Or I could say, during the third year of Reagan, when Big Jim Thompson was governor in Illinois, and Dave and Rich were ministers at Kansas Christian Church, Brett came forth to be baptized. We could do it that way. Make no mistake, these events really happened. God stepped into history and Jesus was baptized and sometimes I talk to people and I say well how long have you been a Christian and and I get different responses I say how long have you been a Christian I'm like well I'm not really sure I know I prayed a prayer when I was eight they might say I know I raised my hand and someone that I repeated a prayer or, or maybe it was when I was 12 and I was at camp and I know I raised my hand and I made a decision 
Now, now hear me carefully. I'm not denigrating those kind of experiences because those kind of experiences are important. But if you ask me when I became a Christian, I have one answer. January 6, 1984, about 6.30 at night. That's when I said the words. That's when I made the promise. That's when I was baptized. About 6.30 at night. It was cold. Water was really, really cold. Baptism gives you a moment when you know something happened. The Scripture read the night I was baptized was Romans chapter 6. And I've read Romans chapter 6 at just about every baptism that I've ever performed. But Romans 6 is a, is a great Scripture. But the thing about Romans 6 that you've got to realize is Romans 6 is written to Christians. Romans 6 is written to people who've already been baptized, not people who are thinking about being baptized. And so rather, it looks back. It looks back on something that everyone in that church had in common and the realization that when you have your doubts when you feel like you have failed when you feel like you have let God down you can point to an event in your life where something changed Romans 6 verses 1 through 4 Paul writes what shall we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were, therefore, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse, verse 3, did you, do you not know? Do you not know? And in other words, you did this for a reason. This happened for a reason so that you can know. God never intends for our faith to be this vague feeling that comes and goes depending on our mood or our emotions, depending on our whims, depending on the weather. He never intends for faith to be this, this vague thing that comes and goes and you think, well, yesterday I, I felt saved, but today I, I couldn't get up and I feel really down and depressed and today I'm not really sure. That, that's not what it means to know one of the blessings of baptism is it gives you a marker in your history a definite date when everything changed a day when you made promises and more importantly god made promises to you god always keeps his promises and that's another gift that baptism gives us you see you need a promise that god has forgiven you now john John did not invent baptism. John the Baptist didn't come up with baptism. Baptism didn't start with John. It didn't start with Christians. It didn't start with the church. If you remember in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came forward on the day of Pentecost. It says 3,000 souls came to be baptized on the day of Pentecost. How did they pull that off with, with just a simple little pull? How did they do that? Well, there were baptismal pools set up all around the temple in Jerusalem. And a lot of Jews, before they would enter, the, enter the, the temple to go worship, they would go to the baptistry pools and they would, they would baptize themselves. They would go down to the water and come back up. It was a ritual cleansing. And they would do this every time they went to the temple. Many of them would. They would often do it many, many times. Over and over again, they would baptize themselves in those pools to, to be ritually clean before entering the temple, before going to a ceremony. But John's doing something different. John is doing something very different. Verse 3 says, 
and he, that is John, went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now you hear that. John is not just doing a ceremonial cleansing. This is not something just to make you presentable before God when you go to the temple. This is a baptism of repentance. This is a baptism that points to a changed life. This is baptism for forgiveness so that you might know that you are forgiven. So that you might know that something different has happened to you. It's there in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches that sermon where he declares Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. He says, this man whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And he calls the people to a commitment and the crowd responds in Acts chapter 2 and they say, what shall we do? And so in Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. He ties baptism directly to knowing that you are forgiven. He ties baptism directly to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He gives you that certainty of God's promise. i, I got to say, I've never understood the problem that some people have with that. I, I've never understood the problem that some people have with that. Now i got to admit that I've had to study different beliefs in baptism. I've had to study all, all the different beliefs and all the different modes. Uh, but admittedly, this is all I was ever really taught. I mean, this is the way I've always seen it. These are the lenses that I've always viewed baptism through. But the number of times when I've talked to someone about baptism, and the first question is, yeah, but. There's always a yeah, but. Yeah, but what about on their deathbed? What if they couldn't have got baptized? What if they didn't get baptized? Yeah, but what about their deathbed? Yeah, but what if there's a car wreck? What if there's a horrible car wreck and, and there's just no time and, and they need to pray a quick prayer? Well, what do you do there? This is a good one. Yeah, yeah, but what if they're lost in the desert? I mean, are you gonna just are you gonna dig a hole in the sand or are you gonna baptize them in sand? People have asked me that. The biggie. Yeah, but what about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross. It was, he wasn't baptized. You can't baptize someone while they're crucified. He was going to be seen, and Jesus would see him that same day in, in paradise. Now listen, listen here. My belief on the importance of baptism does not negate God's grace. God's grace is, is greater than baptism. My belief on the importance of baptism does not negate God's power to save. But here, here is a command. This is a command. This is not only a command, but this is an example that we have all through the Scripture. This is a, a command that was pronounced by Jesus, a command pronounced by the apostles, a, a, a command that is borne witness to over and over again. You don't find a story of conversion in the book of Acts that does not include baptism. So why would you not want to do it? If you're able, why would you not want to do it? Why would you not want to follow what they've laid out for us? Why not have the certainty of that promise? You know, when Jonah first started coming, sitting back there on the back row, Jonah began joining us for worship. Jonna Cottle told me, she's here just, she said, I need some peace. And she was going through cancer. And Jonna would come and she would sit back there and say, I just need 
some peace. Now I got to tell you, Jonna was raised in faith, wasn't she? Jonna was raised in the church. Jonna was a believer, and of that I have no doubt. But there came a point as Jonna faced her diagnosis when, when she said, I need some certainty in my life, and I need to know that I have done what I need to do. And so I talked to her about baptism, and Jonna said, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I said, okay. And we talked a little bit more, and talked to her a little bit more about baptism. She's like, no, I don't think so. I finally wised up, and I, I gave her this CD. Uh, this is Kyle Eidelman on what are you waiting for? It's all about baptism. And Kyle does a much better job of explaining things than I do. And I said, here, here's a, here's a CD. Take this home and listen to it. And she did. She took it home and listened to it. I can't remember who was in my office that day, but I was in my office with someone and Jonna barged in. Can you imagine? She barged in in the middle of a conversation. And she said, hey, I listened to that CD. When can I do it? <laughs> I need to get baptized. And anyone here would tell you the difference it made to her. Anyone here would tell you the peace that she knew. That's the gift of baptism. Baptism cements that commitment in your life. It puts a date firmly on your faith. It confirms the promise of forgiveness and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And Luke also shows us that you need baptism because baptism calls you to a new life. Now, churches like ours, Christian churches and, and churches of Christ, we have long endured the criticism that all we're about is baptism. That's all we're concerned about. Christian churches, churches of Christ, all they're concerned about is baptism. All that matters to those people, all that matters is that you get wet. All that matters is that you get wet. They think that as soon as you're baptized, you're good, you're going to heaven. And I have to be honest, we deserve a lot of that criticism. We have earned that criticism too often we have equated baptism uh the, the the role of baptism to being in the kingdom of heaven what luke shows us in john's baptism is it's more than just getting wet it's more than just getting dunked there is a new commitment to a new way of life look at verse 7 he that john again he said therefore to the crowds that came out he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized you brood of vipers I'm going to try that someday. Let's see how well that goes over. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John was fighting the very same attitude that we've been known for way too often. Just get them baptized. Just get them baptized and, and, and they're saved. Just get them baptized and then you never have to worry about them again. Baptism is your ticket to heaven. That's all you're required to do. And what does John say to that attitude? He says, you brood of vipers. And in verse 8, he calls them to bear fruit in keeping with with repentance bear fruit in keeping with the truth of their baptism let the way that you live let what your life produces be evidence of your baptism in verse 8 he says and don't say to yourselves we have abraham as a father abraham was was known as the friend of god well if he's if he's my ancestor if abraham's my ancestor then i've got to be okay too because my ancestor knew god it'd be real easy for us to say well we live in a christian nation 
so I must be a Christian. It'd be real easy to say, well, I grew up going to a Christian church, so I must be a Christian. Or, or we might even say, well, my, my grandpa was an elder in the church. And so if grandpa was an elder, then I must be okay. Or my grandma taught Sunday school, and so she was okay, so I must be a Christian also. God doesn't have grandchildren. Okay? God doesn't have any grandchildren. God, God has children. You don't get in because you're related to somebody else who did good. It's about your walk. It's about your commitment. It's about your faithfulness. It's about the fruit that your life produces. Over in Matthew's Gospel, the very last command and the very last promise that Jesus gives before returning to the Father in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Matthew sa or Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples. A disciple is a student who wants to be like his teacher. That's what we want. We want to be like Jesus. So how do we become disciples? The very first thing he tells us about discipleship is baptizing. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. The crowd looked at what John was calling them to, and they asked questions. Verse 10, the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? And John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. You need to share your food. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do so. Authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threat or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. That's the fruit in keeping with repentance. You remember the fruit of the Spirit, right? You see in those, those instructions John gives you, you see love. Probably see some joy, peace, be content with your wages. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You definitely see kindness in sharing your tunics, sharing what you have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the life that baptism calls us to. I've, had, I've attended way too many funerals lately. I've been way too many funerals. Last Saturday, I attended a funeral. I didn't have to go anywhere. It was, it was live-streamed on the internet. I attended the funeral by sitting and watching the, the funeral in my, in my home. It was live-streamed. Landon Davenport. When Landon was born, Landon had Down syndrome. And the doctors told Landon's parents that he would never walk and that he would never talk. Well... <laughs> Landon not only walked, but he ran. They told stories about times when, kind of like us with Connor, they would have to yell, Landon's loose! And he was out running through the neighborhood and they had to go find Landon. Landon talked. Landon talked a lot. Landon not only talked, he sang. He loved to sing at his church. A little while ago, Landon was diagnosed with leukemia. And at age 14, just a, just a few days before Christmas, Landon went home to be with Jesus. 
And I sat and watched the funeral. The church was packed. The church was absolutely packed. There were hundreds of people in the church. There were hundreds of us watching online. They sang all of Landon's favorite songs. I mean, they started with Veggie Tales. They started with Veggie Tales, which I was cool with. And then they went into some really new worship music that, that, that Landon loved to sing at church. And then the preacher got up and he preached. He preached the Gospel. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He, the message of Jesus was shared. And at the end of the service, the call was made. If anyone would like to come and commit, uh, the baptistry is ready. He said, the baptistry is warm and ready. If you're ready to make a decision, we're ready to receive you. And at the end of the funeral, one person, one person came forward and gave their life to Jesus. And the preacher was getting ready to wrap it up, say his final prayer, and someone ran up to the stage, whispered in his ear, and he said, I'm sorry, we have to wait just a little bit longer. Someone else has come forward. (laughs) Two people gave their lives to Jesus a week ago Saturday. That's the difference one life can make. One very fragile life like Landon's. And so what about you and me? What about us? What difference could we make? What difference could we make if, if we took the call of Jesus seriously? If we invited people to know Jesus? And His call is open to every one of us. And our baptistry can be ready really quick. And today could be the day that makes the difference in your life. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's a song that we've sung many times before. It's a song that many people have come forward on when they've made that decision. And you know, some people, when they come forward and make that decision, sometimes they come alone. Sometimes they come up all by themselves and and we, we just take that confession of who they believe Jesus to be and then, and then we arrange to have them to, to baptize them. Sometimes they come alone. Sometimes they come with friends. Sometimes they grab someone and say, I can't do this by myself. I need you to come with me. And they come up together to encourage. But what if today, January 5th, 2020, 2020, what if today was the day that you cemented God's promise in your life and so as we sing this song in a moment we invite you to come i'll pray with you and we'll help you get to that next step let's stand together father we thank you for the sureness of your promise we thank you that we can know that we are yours that we can know your forgiveness and your love and that we can know when it's time to take our next step with you and so if there are any today who struggle with their confidence in your promise. I I, I pray that they find the assurance they need in all that you've promised. I pray for us as a body that we might help them to know your promise, to know your presence, to know your love and forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And go in peace.